God, we thank you for this great morning, and I uh, love that word free, that we have freedom in Christ and in Christ alone. We thank you, Jesus, for your tremendous sacrifice on the cross so that today and every other day, for those who surrender their life to you, we can live free. We celebrate that this morning. What a wonderful morning we've had in worship, uh, enjoying the kids and the praise band and the worship team. We wanna give all glory to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. If you have a Bible, would you turn to 2 Corinthians 5, 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through verse 21, or if you're using the Bible app or version, you can find us on live events and find Bethel Church and follow along that way as well. Thanks for being here this morning. I want to welcome Traditions and Kindred and those joining us online. It was a, a blast last week. I got to preach live in Kindred. I haven't done that before, so I missed you guys, but it was, it was a, a blast being with them as well. Make sure that you are keeping up to speed with all that's happening here at Bethel Church, either through the program you received on your way in or uh, on the website. <clears throat> we are entering into Passion Week. Uh, maybe you know that, or maybe you're learning that, and today is Palm Sunday, and today kind of sets into motion um, where we lead to the greatest sacrifice ever known to mankind. By the way, if you need a Bible, slip, slip a hand up and uh, get some ushers, so love to loan you one. We'll have a reflective Good Friday service right here in the auditorium on Friday evening at 6.30. We'd love to have you join us. And then, of course, our Easter services next week at 9 and 10.45, <clears throat> again, right here. <clears throat> I encourage you to get here early because I have a hunch that the auditorium will be filled for both services. And don't forget pancake breakfast next week from 8.30 to 11. Anytime during that time span, you can grab some pancakes. If you are new here, I encourage you to fill out that connection card and, and drop it into the offering box in the back of the auditorium. You know what next week is besides Easter? What do we do on Easter. Does that ring a bell? Baptisms, yeah, baptisms. You know, we have 40 plus people being baptized next week. That's amazing. <clears throat> you can start celebrating now because that's what we'll do next week too. Today I'm wrapping up this series uh, called Who Am I? And many of you have expressed your appreciation for this series and I'm always encouraged knowing that God's word never and will not return void. He is speaking to all of us about our identity in him. And we have looked at several truths over the past several weeks. Here's some of the things we've looked at, that we are chosen and adopted. We are redeemed, forgiven and justified. We're a friend of God. We are free from condemnation. We can be confident knowing that he works for our good and for his glory. We are a citizen of heaven. We are God's temple. And today we're gonna to wrap up this series with this truth, we are Christ's ambassador. So if you're following along in the outline, an ambassador knows Jesus. Second Corinthians, starting with verse 17, you're probably familiar with this verse, maybe. It's what it says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. This was not always true of Paul. Verse 16, just prior to this section of scripture that we're looking at says this. 
So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we no longer do so. And so he says, worldly point of view, and here's what that means, according to human standards. So he was saying, we used to look at Christ, we used to evaluate Christ from, from a human point of view. And he says, we no longer do that. In fact, Paul was so far from God that he opposed the name of Jesus. He put many Christians in prison. He would have them punished. He would try to get them to blasphemy the name of Christ. He would persecute them. He would hunt them down. That was Paul prior to this passage. So what we're seeing in verse 17 and on, when he says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come. What we're seeing is Paul is kind of in this reevaluating his life in the light of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross and specifically in his own life. So he's kind of saying, let me tell you now what it's like being in Christ. So Paul, a devout Jewish man who was now a follower of Christ, was concluding that Jesus' death was not just for his people, not just for the Jews. Um, it was also for the Gentiles, meaning that it's for everybody. That's what he's concluding. But, but Paul's normal rhythm of life prevented him as a Pharisee from rubbing shoulders with the Gentiles, the unbelieving Gentiles. But as Paul's eyes were being opened, as we're seeing in this passage, to the truth of the gospel, he began sharing with the Gentiles about Jesus and how they too could know him. He was recognizing that it didn't matter whether you were a Jew, it didn't matter whether you were a Gentile, that all were equal and all were in need of a savior. All were in need of salvation. Paul's entire approach changed as he shifted from looking only on the outside of a person as he judged people, whether it was uh, ethnicity or racial origin, and, and now he began to look on the inside and he began to look at people through the cross. And he now was way more concerned with where they were at spiritually, were they spiritually alive or were they spiritually dead? His eyes were open. And that shift led him to the words that we find in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Verse 17 has nothing to do with what will happen. It is simply referencing what has happened. Salvation kind of has two parts. Don't misunderstand me here. It's what Christ has done and what Christ is still doing. It's a completed work and a continual work in your life. The idea here is that we are made brand new. We're given this new life in, in contrast to an old life. We're not, look, we're not reformed. We're not rehabilitated like uh, Tiger Woods. If you're watching the Masters, incredible story, right? Many back surgeries, car accident, had to rebuild one of his legs, thought they were gonna have to amputate. Um, rehabilitated to the point he could play in the Masters and make the cut. That's not what he's referring to here. We're not like rehabilitated. We're not re-educated. We are recreated. That's incredible. We don't just turn over a new leaf. It's a brand new life. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but we have an upright freezer in our garage and maybe you have that. We have a refrigerator and then a freezer. And about three weeks ago, the door got left open somehow. 
And so we didn't notice it for a couple days and then someone who noticed it um, closed it. But by that point, all of the stuff inside had already thawed and now it was going to refreeze. And our freezer was packed with meat and the special sausage we get from Iowa that we absolutely love and, and then vegetables, all the things you have in the freezer. So um, we had to do maybe what you've had to do is we had to get garbage bags and throw everything away because we kept some of the chicken just in case we had people over. <laughs> but because it was rotten to the core, in fact, we put it in the garbage can, you literally, within 24 hours, you could start to smell it. We put our garbage can outside of our house, you could start to smell it. We said, we can't leave it here. It's gonna attract all the raccoons in the neighborhood. So we packaged it up again and, and took it to a dumpster. And so, but it was absolutely right. The worst part of it all, honestly, I love, uh, I love the meat, I love the steak, I love the sausage, but all my ice cream bars melted. That's what I had to deal with. I had to grieve that loss. So we are in need of some meat. So if you have a cow and you wanna give us a cow, could you bring it to us in either a trailer or on a leash? Um, we'll figure it out from there. We, and I have one particular pastor who is our newest pastor on staff, <clears throat> um, not to mention his name, but a lot of times it'll, he'll ask if we're grilling out tonight and he knows we don't have any meat. <laughs> Guys, prior to Christ, we're rotten. We're rotten to the core. And that's what this passage is saying is we are made brand new. What he has done gives us new life. What he's still doing is a process of changing us into the likeness of Christ. Now this gets a little bit confusing and I'll tell you why. I wanna share with you an email exchange I had recently with a young man from this congregation. And he asked me this a couple weeks ago on the comment card. When God created Adam, he was made in God's image. And he said, today, Pastor Andy, me a couple weeks ago, said, we are left on this earth to be shaped into the image of Jesus. So his question is, are we born in God's image or turned into it eventually? <clears throat> And my answer, as I wrote back, is this. Yes, both are true. And this is what I wrote. Every person is created in the image of God in four primary ways. This is important to understand. We're created in the image of God morally because we're accountable and we reflect God's holiness and his righteousness. So we're created that way in the image of God. We're created spiritually that we can relate to God. We're created mentally that we can reason and relationally, we can commune with God through a relationship. Those, those are the four primary ways in which we are created in the image of God. Every single person, saved, unsaved, is created in his image. Therefore, every person has value in God's eyes. Therefore, every person ought to have value in our eyes. When a person gives their life to Christ, their position changes from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. And from that moment on, they're being transformed, changed, it's a word sanctified that we'll use, to become more like Jesus while they're here on this earth. So our image doesn't make us God, it makes us like God. We spend the rest of our life learning how to live spiritually alive instead of spiritually dead. I like to use the phrase, Become who you already are. So sanctification is the process of becoming who you already are in Christ if you've surrendered your life to him. 
So the word image, I'm still in the email here, the word image can imply both who we are and who we're becoming. Image can be used to describe our nature, created in the image of God, as well as our likeness, becoming like Jesus. The word can be used both ways. So for those who are in Christ, our new creation has come. We have been made new in him, we've moved from spiritual death to spiritual life, none of that is in the process. It's all complete, guys. If you're in Christ, that's done. You have been made new. What's in the process is us learning to understand and live according to our new creation. That's what you're learning while you're here on this earth. That's what I'm learning while I'm on this earth. Verse 18, he goes on, it says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Nothing about us being made new is our own doing. I have heard this phrase um, more in the last, I would say the last month than I have ever. Listen to this. Nothing about us being made new is our own doing. The universe didn't work in our lives to make us new. No positive energy has made us new. No self-help books has made us new. There is zero ounce of human doing. All of this is completely from God. He's the one who reconciles us. Some of you will remember reconciling your checkbook. That just gives me the willies even thinking about it. Do you remember that? Anybody remember that? Um, I would like to not remember it. And that's when you would take your bank statement that used to come in the mail. Remember when you used to get mail? <clears throat> and you open your mail and you lay out your bank statement and you take your check ledger and then you kind of reconcile the two and you, and, but the bank statement's always right. So you're trying to get your check ledger to match your bank statement, right? And it was always this great celebration at the end if like they even matched or if they, if they were in within a couple dollars, you were like, yes, right? 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Not counting, grasp that. Think of it in the sense of reconciling, not counting people's sins against them, suggesting that God was no longer calculating people's debt. Instead, he was giving him this free gift of reconciliation. To be reconciled to Christ means our sin didn't agree with the standard of Christ. There was a discrepancy. Think of the ledger and the statement. God reconciled us by blotting out our mistakes and making them right in him. So it's kind of like he's the bank statement and we're the ledger. He no longer counts our sin against us. If you're in Christ, you will not get to heaven and stand in front of you and he's gonna say, okay, here's all the sin I still have against you. 
We've been made right with him. But that's not all. Because we have been reconciled, he has also given us the ministry of reconciliation. Not suggesting that we go around and tap people on on the head and say, you are reconciled to Christ, you are reconciled to Christ. Oh, not you. You can't be reconciled to Christ because your sin is too great. That's That's not what he's talking about here. The ministry of reconciliation as an ambassador is to point people to the one who reconciles. That's our ministry. That's what Paul's saying that he's given us. That's what he's given you. That's the gift that he's given you is throughout life is to point people to the reconciler. Let me tell you about the one who can erase your ledger mistakes and make you right with him. That's the privilege that he's given us. So an ambassador knows Jesus and an ambassador speaks Jesus, first part of verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God we're making his appeal through us. We're his ambassadors, and it's, it's kind of like Paul saying, <clears throat> it's kind of like God is just making his appeal through us. So in the first century, an ambassador was this elderly uh, man of high rank who would travel to another country with, with messages from, this, from high-ranking officials from his homeland. So he'd go from his homeland Uh, with messages from high-ranking officials, and he would take those messages to other countries. Well, in a similar way, Paul says he and we are Christ's ambassadors, messengers from our homeland. And you remember when we talked about uh, we're a citizen, our homeland is where? Heaven. We are messengers from heaven with a message to our foreign land, the land in which we're living. We are an ambassador, but here's the cool thing. It's not our message. It's God making his appeal through us. God's appeal was for people to be reconciled to him through Christ. I am so glad that I don't have to figure out um, what message that I have to share if, if God's gonna make his appeal to me or, or what pathway I have to create. The pressure has been alleviated from us. Acts 1.8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus was speaking to his followers in the same way he might speak to us today. If he were standing up here on this stage, he might say something like this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. But it would be different for us today because he would say, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit indwells you. Right? Because when you're a believer, you're indwelled with the Holy Spirit. So let's go on. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit indwells you. And you will be my witnesses, here's your ambassador, in Jerusalem. What's Jerusalem? It's right here where you live, it's where you work, it's where you play. You will be my witnesses, God's going to make his appeal through you as an ambassador, where you live, work, and play. And in Judea, so think out just a little bit, where you travel maybe for shopping, sporting events, or maybe you go back home, maybe you live not too far from here. Or in Samaria, it might be where you vacation or take business trips, and to the ends of the earth, everywhere that's known to mankind. That's what Paul's saying. That's what Jesus is saying in Acts 1.8. You'll receive power when you're indulged with the Holy Spirit, and you'll be my witnesses in all those categories. You will be an ambassador that God is making his appeal through. Guys, 
We are the beneficiaries of that. We have received from that. And we, in the same way the original hearers of this message went forth, continue to take the message of Jesus Christ forward, trusting that he will speak through us. And speak the name of Jesus in every context. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That we find ourselves in, he will show up, and people's lives will be changed forever, and his, his kingdom will continue to expand. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. This verse has no, um, if you feel like it, lean into it. This is, it says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We are his ambassadors. And such that God uses us to make this appeal through only because we are a new creation, one who is in him and becoming like him. So an ambassador has a certain posture about them. There's a reason Jesus rode into town as a servant on a donkey and not as a king. It was all about posture. His posture wasn't, hey, look at me. His posture wasn't about power and authority. He possessed all power and authority. His posture wasn't about status. He was the son of God. His posture wasn't about being better than everyone else because he was sinless and perfect. His posture was I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. That was his posture. So what is our posture as an ambassador? We all have a posture. For some, their posture can be, I don't really take my faith all that seriously. For others, their posture can be, I do take my faith seriously, but I believe it's kind of a private thing. Others take their faith seriously and present a posture of judgmentalism, as though being a Christian has somehow made us better than other people and we can be critical and judge these pathetic sinners around us. Others might have a posture of, I take my faith very seriously, and you need to accept Christ right now or you're going to burn in hell all the while we're beating him over the head with our Bible, right? But what if a believer, what if you, what if I took a posture of a missionary? That's exactly what a missionary is, a new creation in Christ who is an ambassador of his, allowing him to make his appeal through us. If someone asks, well, how could you, would you describe that person to me? What's that person look like? What posture do they have? I would say that they are a person who has an attitude of grace and mercy. They love people. They're humble in spirit. They show compassion. They take time to care. They consider other people's interests ahead of their own. 
They speak Jesus into the lives of the hurting, the broken. They speak Jesus to the anxious and depressed. They speak Jesus to the lost and the confused and the crushed and the shattered. They speak Jesus to the addicted and the proud and the outcasts. That's how we represent God's kingdom. That's the posture of an ambassador. <clears throat> it doesn't matter if you're six or 60, eight or 80. It doesn't matter if you make $10,000 a year, if you make $100,000 a year. It doesn't matter if you live in your car or in a mansion. If you are a new creation in Christ, you are an ambassador, the scripture says, and he's using you. He wants to use you to make his appeal through. First Thessalonians 2, 4 says this, on the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You are always, always saying something. Whether it's through your eyes, your body language, or your behavior, or your reactions, the way you react in a situation, or maybe even if you speak, if you share words, you're always saying something. We've been approved by God and entrusted to speak Jesus, the gospel. What <clears throat> is your life telling people? What are you telling your spouse? What are you telling your kids? What are you telling the other parents that you interact with? What are you telling your small group? What are you telling your coworkers? As an ambassador of Christ. An ambassador knows Jesus, speaks Jesus, and represents Jesus. Second part of verse 20 and 21, we implore you on Christ's behalf. I love that phrase. This is Paul, we implore you be reconciled to God. In the verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. That's an interesting phrase. Meaning he bore the consequences or the punishment of our sin. Another way to think of this is this. God made Jesus who was perfect, who was innocent in every way, identify with sin so he could take it away. In life, we expect to cross paths and even do life with imperfect people who sin. We expect that, right? Of course, people who lie, people who cheat and deceive and manipulate. We rub shoulders with people like that every single day. People who are selfish and proud, people who judge, people who even hate. That is why People in Jesus' day were so shocked and so surprised at Jesus' life. And they were so hard-pressed to find one iota of anything wrong with him. He had no sin. As to say, he never knew what it meant to sin. If Jesus never sinned, how can he possibly identify with us? He can identify with us because he was tempted 
in every way that you are tempted. Hebrews 4.15 says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. And Paul says, we implore you, we implore you. Two more quick things, we implore you, we implore you we represent another kingdom, he says. John 18, 36 says this. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. This, this is not your kingdom. So we implore you to be an ambassador because your kingdom is not here. And then he says another one. He says, we implore you, live in it, but not of it. John 17. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. This is Jesus praying. If you ever wanna see Jesus' heart, read John 17. You just see this incredible prayer of Jesus. This is what he says. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. You have been sent as an ambassador. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Remember from a couple weeks ago, this phrase. Guys, it's all about this, don't take your shoes off. Don't take your shoes off. You're not staying here. This is temporary. We're preparing our entire time on this earth for our home, right? Christ's kingdom. We're just passing through. So, as an ambassador, an ambassador knows Jesus, speaks Jesus, and represents Jesus. Let me leave you with one thing, and then we're gonna close with the final song. Here's the one thing. Allow God to make his appeal through you. So this week, as you're just going into this week, maybe even as you leave here, maybe even right now, maybe that's a prayer as we close with the song, you, you are praying and you're asking God, God, I'm an ambassador. I've been reminded of that this morning. Would you make your appeal through me? Would you make your appeal through me?